Welcome to the Robert Lewis Sermons Podcast, an archive of Robert Lewis's sermons while at Fellowship Bible Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. The following podcast is one of Robert's original messages to men on manhood, found here under the series heading, Authentic Manhood. As you listen to it, we hope it will give you both personal encouragement and spiritual inspiration to live better as a man. Well, today our journey, our quest uh, into authentic manhood is about at an end. And uh, what an incredible journey it's been. What a privilege for me to have been with you over this uh, last year, just enjoying talking about really this most vital subject of manhood and uh, probing in our journey into our past, uh, probing into our parents and the connections or the disconnects that uh, are found there, probing into our wounds and into that uh, invisible suitcase. Do you guys remember that, that we looked at? Uh, into the scripture where we explored and defined a man, into our most important relationships with friends, with mentors, with a woman, with a wife, with a son, with a daughter. All those things have been part of this journey that we call the quest for authentic manhood. And now this morning, what I want to do is put all of that into a big picture perspective by unfolding for you some maps that I think would be extremely helpful in this journey because a map, as you guys know, provide a context for any journey, especially a manhood journey. It allows us to pinpoint our location and helps us know in the bigger picture of the adventure exactly where we are. A map is something that gives us a sense of right direction, which men are notorious for not stopping and asking for, right? Well, this morning, what we want to do is get a sense of direction. And in order to get a direction, we need a, some maps. And so what I want to do is unfold for you three manhood maps that I think would be very, very helpful to give us that perspective, a sense of where we are in our life quest and our life journey to finish up uh, this series that we have been experiencing together called The Quest for Authentic Manhood. If you look here at your outline there, the first map is what I call the life cycle map. And uh, this map actually came about uh, in 1978 through a research team of Yale social scientists. And over a course of some 10 years, they followed 40 men from four different quadrants to watch their life and how their life progressed over that 10 year period of time. And their conclusion became a national bestseller. In fact, I gave you the book there in your outline. It's called The Seasons of a Man's Life by Daniel Levinson. And the summary of the book is basically this, according to Levinson. He says this, men follow a common life cycle. They follow a common life cycle with the same basic seasonal characteristics. So I want to kind of map out Levinson and the Yale team research on a map here and show you a graph because what they did is they saw men's life fall in particular stages. The first stage was between zero and 22 that they called the childhood and adolescent stage. Then that was followed by early adulthood between the years 17 and 45. Then from 40 to 65 was middle adulthood. And then from 60 till the time life wraps up was called late adulthood. Now, what they found was these provide the quadrants where men's lives go through specific, specific characteristics that they could describe 
And regardless of the man's background or socioeconomic status or place in the country culturally where he's raised, they fall in the, they, their life fell into these four cycles. In between those cycles were what they called transitions, very predictable transitions, according to Levinson, where men would feel unsure of themselves. They would feel restless, unsettled, insecure. And in those transitions, they would need to reevaluate themselves or reinvent themselves if they were going to feel a sense of success in the next season. And here's where those transitions occur. For instance, right after childhood and adolescence, there was the, there was the transition that occurred between the ages of 17 and 22. There was a, a tremendous change at that point in a man's life. Then came the transition between 40 and 45 that most of us know is the infamous midlife crisis. That was a transition as well. And then finally, the transition that occurs when a man is kind of stepping off center stage of life, most often in our culture between 60 and 65. That was the third transition. Now, depending on a man's life and how it progresses and those kind of things, these ages can vary, but, but these are the stages and the transitions that Levinson and his Yale team found that every man goes through to some degree or another. We could compare it to the four seasons of a year. There's spring where a man is growing. There's summer where a man is hot. There's fall where a man's life is full of color. And then there's winter when a man's life is beginning to decline and finish. Those are the four seasons. Now, what I want to do is take a moment and just go back through that graph as you look at it there and make a few comments about each of the seasons and the transitions. First of all, spring between zero and 22, this childhood and adolescent stage. It's in this season that a boy grows into a man, at least physically speaking. This is when he grows up. Whether he thinks or acts manly will depend on a number of factors. One will be what kind of vision for manhood he has, which is what we've been talking about. If he has no vision, then he'll tend to squander a lot of that early growth that will take place in his life. Whether he has a code of conduct that will actually breathe life into him or take life away from him. Whether he has a cause bigger than himself, what I call a transcendent cause, a young man growing up that has a bigger perspective of the cause of life is a much healthier young man than one whose only cause is himself. But he grows up physically speaking, whether he grows up emotionally or spiritually, that's another question altogether. Nevertheless, this is the first season of life. And then there comes a major transition between the years 17 and 22, because as you all know, that's when a man begins to make a break with his home, his, ho his home of origin. He makes a break with his mom, hopefully, or his dad. He takes a job in the work world, or he goes to college, or he joins the military, or takes some new responsibility. But at this moment in his life, during these years of transition, all of that calls a young man to grow up or else, doesn't it? This is the season where life finally stares him in the face and he can no longer just live under the wing of mom or dad. He has to grow up or else. The need is to do something with my life, hopefully. 
And he begins to explore different venues of where he can make those contributions and make his mark on the world. That's spring. Then summer comes between 17 and 45. And early in the summer season, usually what a young man does, and there's a lot of young men in the room, so you can listen up, he settles into some vocation that you think will be suitable for your life calling. In fact, a lot of young men, when they first get out in the season of summer, think they're going to choose a job that's going to last them for a lifetime. And they feel a lot of pressure because they think they've got to make the exact right choice because whatever vocational choice in particular they choose, this is what's going to carry me through the rest of my life. So they feel a lot of intense pressure there. They usually attach themselves during this season early on to a life mate. And for some of the lucky ones, they also attach themselves to a life mentor. It might be the boss that they work for. It might be some older man that just takes interest in them if they have that. And that enriches their life in this opening season. But Levinson found that almost for every man, every young man, around 30 years old, a crisis occurs. It's one of his first kind of life crisis, so to speak. Because around 30, after he's been working hard during that opening season of life, he begins to see the flaws and limitations of his initial vocational choices. And he begins to think, I don't want to keep working for dad. Or he begins to say, this is a dead-end job. Or he looks at the skill he's been crafting for those opening years and he thinks, why should I work here? I could take this and go elsewhere and do 10 times better. And so he's beginning to feel the need to break out on his own and get his wings up and fly for himself, but he's afraid. Because to do that's oftentimes a big risk. And he's been working hard in that opening season to kind of establish himself. So he's got to make a choice at that point. You know, I felt that very thing. When I was 30 years old, this is when I came to this church. And I remember I'd been working under an older man in Tucson, Arizona, and uh, we had taken a small church and we had had a number of wonderful years together. In fact, uh, one of the things that we labored under as the church kept growing was adding a number of staff and we just built this magnificent new facility that we were about to move into. I was 30 years old and the phone rang one day and it was from Bill Wellens here in Little Rock saying, would you be interested in coming to Little Rock? And uh, I remember the, 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 the intense struggle I went through to think, okay, now I've got this thing that I've been working on for the last, last number of years that's been growing and successful and I've finally gotten established in Tucson. Or do I go back to Little Rock where they're meeting in a smelly gym and start all over again? but with new responsibilities and a greater breadth of opportunity. And it was one of those giant forks in the road. Do you feel that? Where you got to choose. And if a man at that point in his life chooses successfully, then the rest of his 30s are usually very stable and productive. In fact, he discovers things about himself that actually amaze him. He begins to see his capacities and he begins to see that life really is an adventure and it's worth taking risks. On the other hand, the guy who plays it close to the vest and safe, oftentimes he'll stay in that situation and though it's secure, it becomes dissatisfying. 
and he feels like he's stagnating there. And if that goes on long enough without the proper changes, then during those 30s, he's setting himself up for that infamous midlife crisis, isn't he? Because there's just this, these, these resonating claps of thunder within his heart and soul thinking, I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. But he didn't have the courage to leave when the cycle called upon him to make that move. Then there's the season that's called fall between 40 and 65. And the fall season can really be the most powerful and productive in a man's life. It's when he's on center stage. It's when he's got a certain level of accomplishments behind him. His resume is full. He has a lot of connections and he can do a lot of good with his life. In Patrick Morley's book, Seasons, The Seven Seasons of a Man's Life, he mentions that a man during these years needs to be able to answer 10 questions. And if he can answer these 10 questions, he's probably on the path to a highly successful life. I'll read you the 10 questions. The 10 questions are these. Am I performing fulfilling work? This is what a man needs to be able to answer in this fall season of color. Am I a good provider? Am I doing everything possible to help my children become responsible adults? Am I building a strong, loving marriage? Am I doing everything possible to introduce my family to faith in Christ? Am I investing in other people's lives as a friend, counselor, accountability partner, and mentor? Am I living a life of good deeds and making a contribution to my community? Am I living a life of integrity? Am I walking close to my Lord Jesus Christ? Will I go to heaven when I die? Morley says that the man in this season of life who can answer yes to all those 10 questions has laid a rich foundation and will even have a more powerful next season because of it. But you guys know there are a lot of men in this season between 40 and 60 who, for one reason or another, unfinished business in the past, the suitcase that finally burst open, a troubled marriage that wasn't corrected when it needed to be in those early years and didn't get the attention that it needed, or son or daughter that you made, uh, uh, you made wounded because you didn't invest properly in their life. You know, life can, the rails can come off during this season. And haunting questions can begin to stalk a man through his days. In fact, Bob Beal in his book, Weathering the Midlife Storm, just pictures some of the questions that men start asking in this season of life if they hit the wall. Here's some of the questions. Am I stuck here for the rest of my life? Is this how it feels to get old? Is anything worth it? Why can't I understand myself? Will I ever get the promotion? Do I really even want it? Where's all of my former confidence gone? When I'm old, will I become like my father? Why do I feel so very, very lonely even when I have lots of friends? Why does God feel so distant, so uncaring, so silent? Are my kids ever gonna get out of their troubles? Did I really marry the right person? in the first place. See, that's what happens in this season. It's, it can be 
a season of tremendous success and confidence that is unleashing tremendous good from a man, or it can be another season of redress where a guy enters whitewater and he knows time is running out and he has to address those kind of questions that stalk him or else he'll brood his life away. That's why the fall is full of those flaming colors. And then we come to winter. Winter, 60 plus, where a man finds he must come to a place where he admits his energies are declining and uh, he needs to start wrapping up his vocational intensities. It's not that he can't still work and those kind of things, but life begins to narrow and he has to focus on the most strategic points of his life. He's got to step off center stage and eventually he knows he's going to be replaced. And now he's got some major questions he has to answer. And those questions are, what now? What's left? Where's my place? What contributions can I still make? And answering these questions successfully become the key to a satisfactory last season of life. Now, here's what I want you to know, guys. Look up here for just a minute. Every man follows that cycle. Every man. Are there variations in that cycle for every man? Sure there are. There are, there are minor variations everywhere. But I bet as I describe that, especially for some of you older guys, you've felt those cycles. There's some of you guys right now, there are in every men's fraternity who is at 30 years old. And when I got to that place about 30 years old and making a change in your location, everything in you started shivering because you're right at that spot. In fact, some of you will come talk to me after the session. Say, yeah, should I make that decision? Should I make that jump? Because you're right there. And why? Because you're unique. Well, yes, you are, and no, you're not. You're a unique creature. But the life cycle of masculinity is fairly common. That leads me to a second map. It also came from a book that I think is very helpful. It's called the Life Stages Map. The Life Stages Map. Robert Hicks presented that in his book, The Masculine Journey, back in 1993. And what Hicks found is he studied more from a theological perspective than from a social perspective like Levinson. Hicks found, as he looked into the Old Testament, he found six Hebrew words for man. And as he studied these six Hebrew words for man, he found that they reflected six very special, specific stages of a man's life that were very helpful to him, and they've become very helpful to me. Hicks says this, in this sense, these words provide a way of outlining, detailing, and defining the masculine experience. Now, what I've done is I've given you those Hebrew words on your outline, and I want to fill them in to the stages that they represent, and we'll look at the ages those stages reflect. First of all, there is the Hebrew word Adam. It looks like Adam, doesn't it, in the middle? And it reflects the creational stage of masculinity. Then there's the word Zakar, which speaks to the phallic stage of masculinity. Then Gibor, the warrior stage. Then the Hebrew word Enosh, which speaks to the wounded stage. Then the word ish, which is a common Hebrew word for man, by the way, that speaks to the mature stage. And then lastly, the word zakin, 
that speaks to what Hicks calls the sage stage. Now, those are the six stages. What Hicks did not do in his book, he describes those stages in pretty uh, graphic detail, helpful detail, really. He didn't put ages on them, so I'm gonna just take a shot at the ages of each of these stages because I think that would be helpful to give us some kind of balance, and then we'll go back into those stages and talk about them in detail. First of all, the creational stage, I would see between zero and 20. Zero and 20. The phallic stage, 13 to 25. The warrior stage, 20 to 40. The wounded stage, 40 to 50. The mature stage, 50 to 60. And then the sage stage, 60 plus. According to Hicks, at each of these six stages, something new for a man will be encountered. If, as you move through each of those stages, you as a man are going to face a new sense of masculinity. There'll be new challenges that'll be encountered. Something dynamic will take place, which will require for you important adjustments and self-understanding if you're going to navigate this particular stage of your masculinity. And Hicks says, without these adjustments, a man will not adequately transition to the next stage. What he'll do is he'll accumulate baggage from a former stage as he moves into a new stage, and he'll carry that baggage forward. And if he carries enough of it from stage to stage, his pack, his suitcase will get heavier and heavier and heavier, and it will rob him of the dynamic and success of the next stage because he didn't make the proper adjustments within the stage that he was in. So life will become more dissatisfying or more incomplete. On the other hand, with the right adjustments of each stage, you enjoy that stage, but not only do you enjoy the stage, you move into the next stage more powerful. And as you do so, life becomes more productive, more successful, more satisfying. So now let's look closely at each of these six stages so you get a sense, kind of a handle on them. First of all, the creational stage from the word Adam, between zero and 20. The creational stage. You know, each of us has been endowed by God with certain particular gifts and capacities and talents. You didn't choose those, did you guys? When you were born, there were certain capacities that either were accidental or creational. And those, in a sense, are entrustments to you to develop over your lifetime. For some of you, you have, have, have looked at yourself and part of this early stage between zero and 20 is coming to terms, one of the big issues of a young man growing up is coming to terms with his createdness. I've got my little 16-year-old son every night in the kitchen drinking protein drinks because he desperately wants a muscle. <laughs> he wants to grow up. He doesn't understand why God's made him small. And he's having to come to terms with what all that means for him. And that's true of all of us in different ways. Whether we're going to be satisfied with being big or little or musical or mechanical or athletic or academic, introverted, extroverted, handsome or plain, all of us have to deal with what that means for us. We have to understand what that means for us in both the limitations those 
gifts bring as well as the opportunities those things bring. In fact, I really think for a young man between zero and 20, the two things he has to answer most about himself in order to move successfully to the next stage is these two questions. What am I? And then even a bigger question. What am I not? I think this question is bigger than the first. In order to begin to craft himself into the next season of life. So accepting and developing our manhood along these lines of our createdness is the key start between zero and 20. And you know, parents are really important during this stage because they can help affirm a young man around his createdness. Here's what the scripture says in the book of Proverbs. It says this, train up a child, we'll just say a son in this point, train up a son in the way he should go and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. The little phrase in Hebrew, in the way he should go, literally could be translated, train up a son according to his bent. In other words, you don't train up a son and try to bend him the opposite way than God's bent him. You train him up according to his particular gifts and capacities. You don't try to make an athlete out of a musician or an academic out of a guy who is more of a wilderness kind of guy that just wants to go out and experience the world. And you're trying to make him a classroom professor. You train him up according to his bent. You help him develop his createdness further. Polish it. Make the most of it. That's part of the role of parents. Affirm it rather than deny it or even criticize it. And those of us who grew up in homes where our parents did not understand our createdness but tried to bend us a different way or even laughed at our certain kind of bent does tremendous damage to our lives. Train up a child according to his bent. So for a young man, it's very important to understand who I am and who I'm not in this creational stage. Then we move to the phallic stage, the zakar stage, where a man's life between 13 and 25 is full of sexual energy. It's a time of intense sexual energy. In fact, the word zakar in Hebrew, the root idea of the word is the word male protrusion or penis. That's what the word is. It's where the root comes from. Between 13 and 25, male sexual energy, as you know, is at its highest point. And because of that, it creates significant challenges and adjustments for a young man advancing through this stage. Because here's the, here's the issue. Is this sexual energy going to dominate me? Or am I going to use it in a principled manner, the way it was given to me? That is the key question during this particular stage. Is passion going to be something I use or does it use me? Robert Hicks makes this comment. He says this, I've met men in their 50s and 60s who still think of life. They're in their 50s and 60s and they still think of life as below their belt most of the time. They have never moved on in their maleness. They have never learned that sexual energy must be channeled constructively. Listen, guys. Sexual intensity is always a part of a man's life. I love the young man who came to the 80-year-old guy and says, when do you stop lusting? 
And the 80-year-old guy said, well, here's one thing I know for sure. It's not at 80. <laughs> so the question is, is sexual energy going to be our friend or our master? Now to stand in front of a group of men and show this verse is hard, but here's what the scripture says. First Thessalonians. It says, for this is the will of God. Your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own body in sanctification and in honor, not in lustful passion like unbelievers who do not know God. Now, does that mean that you can't be sexual? No. That is not a disclaimer on sexual energy. It's a disclaimer on sexual immorality, and there's a difference. God is the author of sex and it should be enjoyed and it should be one of the great rewards of life. But it has to be handled in a principal manner. Otherwise, it becomes your master and you become its slave and it will do great harm to a man and he'll find himself cleaning up the problems of that in the next season of life. Let's move on to the warrior stage between 20 and 40. It comes from the Hebrew word gabor. Proverbs 20, 29 makes this statement. The glory of young men is their strength. And man is it. I wish I still had it. It's such a good time because there's power and strength and energy that's just naturally resonant in a young man's life. This is a time of drive and competitiveness, of push to be the best, the biggest, the brightest, the smartest, the most powerful, the most well-known. The goal in the warrior stage is to establish yourself as a man in the world and to fight for it. And you're ready to fight. Everything in you says to fight. It's the warrior stage. It's a time of courage and strength and willpower, not necessarily wisdom. You can get it done just by working harder. And during that time done well, all that energy can do a lot of good. Can also do a lot of evil. Because it has so much energy. And the goal at this stage of life is to win. And to lay the platform for a future life that's highly successful and motivating. But here's what a young man experiences as he moves to the latter half of the warrior stage. He begins to sense as he moves to the end of his 30s that he doesn't have the energy he once had. He just begins to taste it for the first time. He doesn't have the strength to do another all-nighter. He can't go into the office. He didn't want to go into the office on Saturday and work 16 hours. He wants to take a vacation finally. And he also begins to learn that in this fight, oftentimes without wisdom, he's taken a few hits that he wasn't even aware of. Just like, well, some of you, if you can relate to this in an athletic contest, I, one of the first things I remember my first high school football game as I got out in the game, I was so pumped for the game that about the second quarter, I looked down, I had a huge gash on my arm. I never felt it. And I want you to know, for a lot of young men during the warrior stage, they have gashes they don't even know they have. 
They don't even know they took the hits because they're so intense during that time. But you know, that stage comes to an end. And you move into this next stage, the Enosh stage, the wounded stage between 40 and 50. It's a stage of powerful reevaluations because somewhere in your 40, in your 40s, most men begin to realize how many of these hits they've taken. In some areas of their life, they finally realize. It just kind of dawns on one day, they didn't know what they were doing. For some men in their 40s, they fulfilled a lot of their life quest early. And now having fulfilled it, they're just left there on the battlefield, you know, with the sword down going, now what? And they're not sure. For others, they have lost their marriage or they've lost their family somewhere along the way. And now what do I do? For some, they've soothed the pain through drugs and alcohol, and now it's mastering them, and others are trying to get their attention around it. For some, they've realized that a lot of what they were doing was done for less than honorable reasons. It's the guy who wakes up who's president of the company in a job he doesn't even really want and realize he's been doing this for the last 25 years just to get his dad's approval, and he's never going to get it. And he's 48 years old now. Now what? All kinds of questions come in because he's hurt people, he's been hurt, and during this particular season, oftentimes he's got to reshuffle and play the hand differently this time and think about his life in a totally different way, and it's a little bit disorienting because he can't keep doing it the way he's been doing because he just doesn't have the strength. It's a season of wisdom this season called the wounded stage. Now I want you to know dealing with a certain level of woundedness is not a unique experience. I hope you've experienced that here for men. Every man has some kind of wounds. It's common to all men, whether it's a wound of the past, a wound of my own foolishness during that warrior stage, how I've hurt other people around me and I didn't even know it that I've got to clean up now. Every man has some wounds. The question is, are you going to live in those wounds in the next season of life? Or are you going to empty out your suitcase? You know, we had a tragic illustration of that after the Vietnam War. When those soldiers came back and were not honored but shunned, a lot of those guys, even right now, are dealing, they're still back in Vietnam trying to make sense of that. But theirs is not the only experience like that. There are men who are in their 50s and 60s who are still trying to figure out life from the 20s and 30s and 40s. Because this wounded stage is a time of reevaluation. It's coming to terms with life of what it really is, not the warrior stage with the visor down thinking you can make everything happen because you can't now and you know it. But how are you going to see life? I love this statement by Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Isn't that interesting? Comfort and mourning. But there's a, there's, a, there's a place to mourn. There's a place to finally stop and go, you know, I hurt my family, and I'm going to deal with that. And as I work through that grief, I get comforted. Or I was living my life for the wrong reasons, and it, you readjust. And these readjustments have a tremendous 
impact on the success of the next season. But some guys, here's what I want you to know. Some guys never get to this next season. That's called here on your outline the mature stage or ish. 50 to 60. You see, this stage reflects a man who, because he's made the right adjustments, is now the ruler of his life. He's the ruler of his own soul. He, he really is mature. He's no longer driven by wounds. He's no longer driven by external expectations or the thoughtlessness of youth. It's a spiritual time. And he has a spiritual vision of life because Ish is a spiritual place. He's found peace with himself. He's comfortable with his own skin, both what he did wrong as well as what he did right. And he's come to terms with both. He's like David in Psalm 23, verse 1, who says these words, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He doesn't need another toy to feel good about himself. He doesn't need another car to feel like a man. He doesn't need to build something bigger as a monument to himself. He's comfortable within himself. And in fact, in this mature stage, he's thinking now of what power he can unleash for good on others away from himself because that's the ultimate in manhood. Remember what we learned about the second Adam, a life-giving spirit? There's probably no time that a man has a better way of expressing that than in this ish stage. He can do great things for the kingdom with money, power, connections, and all the standards that he's now set that other men look at and admire, especially younger men, because he gives, he's at a place where he can gain great respect from younger men. Regardless of what his past has been, it's how, what, what he did in that wounded stage. And if he's made the best of it, he's even respected for the wrongs he did that he then made right. And men are attracted to a mature man. They carry an aura a power within themselves that is a natural magnet because of their maturity. And then that leads to the sage stage, 60 plus, where a man, as I said, moves off center stage to a certain degree, but not out of life. He's not retiring, he's not quitting, but now he becomes a, a standard bearer, so to speak. That's why the scripture says this, in Proverbs, it says, the glory of a young man is his strength. But listen, the glory of an old man is his gray hair. It's his experience. He, he carries for all the young men behind him how to finish well. He's the standard bearer of ultimate noble masculinity. Even as he grows weaker and his life grows a little narrower, he carries something significant and strategic by the quality of his life. He can also make a lot of special contributions at this stage in his life. In fact, uh, some of the great works of art that we celebrate around the world were done by artists after they were 65. Some of the great accomplishments in our world were done by men in this last season of winter. And he leaves a legacy of how to finish well. A number of years ago, I received a letter from an older man like this in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, in Canada. 
And it looked like it had been pecked out on a typewriter that was 80 years old. I mean, I can hardly read the type. But it was a letter to me, and I want to read it to you. It says, Dear Dr. Lewis, I am a retired minister of the Mennonite Brethren Church, 91 years old. I am now two and a fourth years in a nursing care home. I have diabetes and heart troubles, but I am able to read and to write. And I want you to know I'm writing a new book for our grandchildren about Christian living. My wife and I have read your book, Real Family Values. We know what real family values are. We have a family of 13 children. They all have accepted Jesus as their savior. Some as young children, others as teenagers. They all married Christian spouses for which we are very thankful to the Lord. Out of our children, we have three Bible college professors and six pastors. <laughs> the rest of our children are serving the Lord in churches. Our son, Daniel Block, is professor of Old Testament at Southern Baptist Seminary. What I'm writing you about is to ask your permission to take some of your quotes and use them in this book that I'm writing. It will strengthen the principles that I would like to give to my children and my grandchildren with, Beth, with Beth's wishes, your brother in Christ. And then it looks like someone, a nurse or somebody, signed his name, and then he tried to sign his name. And I looked at that, and I got chills. Because you know what I see? I see a King Arthur. A guy who's 91 years old, and he's not going to quit. He's still going to make a contribution as a noble man. He's still a life-giving spirit, even in this nursing care facility. And I go, now that's how you finish well. Well, there's one last map. It's your manhood plan map, okay? The one you've been working on and crafting for yourself. And this, I believe, can be, might be, should be the most important map of all. Because in the end, and I want you to listen real closely to this, because in the end, life is not just what happens to you. In the end, Life is what you made happen. Now, a man who doesn't understand that will never be a man. What you've planned to happen, what you've envisioned to happen, what you've worked at making happen, this is manhood at its best. Real men plan their manhood and then they work their plan. Real manhood is not a story about victims, about giving in, about surrender, about passivity, about crying in your eggs and telling the other guy across the table how hard it is. We all know it's hard, don't we? That's why we pick up the sword. And that's why we ask God with all our heart, help me be the man you created me to be. And heaven will shout back, let's do it. This is manhood. It's not just what happens to you by events and circumstances outside your control. Real manhood is what you make happen with a plan 
crafted by you to finish well and then asking God's grace and help and mercy to get you there. That's manhood. That's the ultimate map. Now I'll tell you that because that's how I bring this to an end. With you having your map. We've had an incredible journey the last few months together. But this morning, we're at the end of that journey. Well, we're at the end of the journey together. Okay? Because this is where I leave you, on the trail to authentic manhood. I've given you about everything I know, guys. I've taught you about everything that I've ever come to understand as a man. I've laid it at your feet. And it's been, let me tell you, and it's been a delight and an honor to have served you over the course of this year. But as your trail guide, it's time to say, I'm finished. And I'm going to step aside, and there before you is this trail of authentic manhood into eternity. And you've got your marching orders, and you've got your map, and I believe you can do it. So I'm going to leave you with one last charge. It's the charge that King David gave to his son Solomon as he was about to turn over the kingdom. He was at the point of death. He brought his son into the king's chamber and he looked at his son and he said, go and show yourself a man. And that's my charge to you as your trail guide. I wave you adieu and I say, go and show yourself a man. Thank you for listening to the Dr. Robert Lewis Sermon Podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, please rate and review this podcast. In addition, share this with your friends and community. This podcast was produced by the team at Sound of a Rose. You can learn more about the team at soundofarose.com.